Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, As God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. As God indeed said. As God indeed said. Interesting first conversation that the devil would have with a human is, has God indeed said? Just throws that out there, doesn't it? The doubt or question. Is that what he really meant? Is that what he's really saying? How good do you and I have a grasp of God's Word? You have billboards talking about the end of the world, May 21st. You have thousands and thousands of different religions. You have political figures and leadership that say they're born-again Christians, but they sign into, they sign bills that just promote abortion and homosexuality and just crazy things that are taught very clearly in the Bible that it's sin. Are they really born-again Christians? Are they really leaders? That when they say, God bless America, do they really mean it? What God are they talking about? What's going on? What message are those people who are ignorant of God's word receiving? What are they hearing from these people that call themselves Christians and then live a totally different way than what they are preaching? Where are people getting what God has really said? Are they believing men and women who simply because they quote certain scriptures from the Bible makes them a Christian? Is that the authenticity that because they can quote scripture, it's all of a sudden, all of a sudden holy and right? No wonder there's so many religions. No wonder there's so many Jesuses. They don't mention, they're not talking about the Jesus that you and I know when they take things out of context from the scriptures. One of the great benefits of this church is that it dissects verse by verse all the scriptures, the total counsel of God, not just bits and pieces, and encourages you to read God's word down, to be diligent and work at it. So that you will not be deceived as the world is being deceived. The world is confused. There's so many different things, so many different philosophies, so many news programs, TV programs, movies, books that are on the bestsellers list for the top ten that have supernatural undertones. And people are drawn in, They're making millions of dollars in movies and books. Because it causes the supernatural, people are drawn to it. My school and I teach at a set of 12th graders, and there's a set of twins. One came to me and said, Hey, Coach, did you see the billboard that's talking about May 21st? The bus passes it every day. So we got into a discussion about that, and he said, well, Coach, I don't believe that. I don't think the Bible says that stuff. And we talked right in public school yesterday. 
We didn't let the government stop us talking about Jesus Christ just today in the Bible. We weren't afraid of man or what he's going to do. We got only thing that we don't know who's in power and who's in charge of our heartbeat and our breath. It's not President Obama. It's not uh, Governor Christie. It's not the principal of the superintendent of my high school. It's Jesus Christ. And we're to be led by the Spirit. We're to be wise. And not to be deceived. And if we're in the Word, we can't be deceived. The guy by the Holy Spirit is awesome. He's leading us. He's guiding us in the name of Jesus. So the twin, one of the twins says, well, my brother believes that it's going to be the end of the world. And a lot of kids in his class are thinking that because they see it every day. They don't know what, it, what it's all about. What an opportunity. But at the same time, what about those unchurched people? What about those people who have no knowledge of the Scripture? What are they going to think about true Christianity as a result of a lie? How are they going to be deceived? Will that turn them off? Or will they investigate more so they're not faked out the next time? Only time will tell. But what opportunities we might have in the next few weeks just to be ready to give a defense for what we believe and to be able to show in Scripture those things that are laid out there. As God needs said, Confusion. Are you confused today? Are you confused by the economic problems, the number of hurricanes and tornadoes and tsunamis and people being killed and the drug addiction and the alcoholism and all the craziness that's going on in the world? Are you confused by it? You shouldn't be. Because the Bible is very clear as we get closer and closer to being with the Lord, things are going to increase. There's going to be more problems and trials and tribulations. If anything, there should be a time that you and I are what? Draw closer to Jesus Christ. Clinging closer, hanging on. And reading the signs of the times so that we are ready to help those people who are going to be more confused, more hopeless, more anxious about the things going on. But, understand there is an enemy of our souls who has a demonic army that wants to throw doubt into your lives through the circumstances that we face every day. Our own checkbooks, our own workplaces, our own health, whatever's going on. We are one, close, one day closer today to meeting Jesus face to face than you were yesterday. That's no greater, right? But do we think of it that way? Do we understand that? That we're one heartbeat, one breath away from meeting our Lord and Savior right now. Regardless of our age. We have this emerging church that's out there that are drawing a lot of young people to it. Why? Because there's a young minister up there who dresses like that. Big deal. If he's not in God's Word, it doesn't matter what he looks like. Remember, stay Disguises himself as an angel of light. He is the father of lies. Anybody who's not following the truth of Jesus Christ has to be under the umbrella of the father of lies. So he's going to say things and do things and look a certain way that's going to attract those people, young or old, who don't have a grasp of the scripture. How's your grasp? How are you doing with your daily walk with Jesus Christ? Are you getting to know him better? 
Or is he the same as yesterday, a year ago? Do you know him better today than he did a year ago, a month ago? He wants to grow daily in his relationship with you. Not yearly, not, you know, not every ten years, not every two weeks, every single day. I believe every single day, of every single day, of every single week, of every single month, every single year, until you meet him face to face. Why? Well, because of Satan, because of his army, because of those people who either work in under Satan's authority, or who are deceived themselves, that could throw you off track. We don't want that to happen. I know the elders and the pastors. I know those who are working here in ministry. Biggest thing is what? God's word. And I know in September there is going to be classes where you can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. It's inexpensive. You can do it for credit. Audit it, but it's another way to just be in a discipline of being fed God's word and know why you believe what you believe. Has God indeed said, Well, I don't know unless I have his playbook. Unless I've read his playbook, I don't know what he said. Might sound great, might sound heavenly, might sound supernatural, but I don't know if I don't know his word. In the context of how he said it. Two Corinthians eleven three, you don't have to turn to it. It says, But I fear lest somehow as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Craftiness. What does that mean? What do you think of when you hear the word crafty or craftiness? Some of the meanings, shrewd, subtle, abusive, dangerous, manipulative, interesting when you think of that craftiness, all the different uh, meanings that it has. The one that hit me is abusive, dangerous, and manipulative. Think back in Genesis 3 1 when Satan said to the woman, As God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. One of the things it does is when you are under a temptation like uh, the serpent fruit to Eve, it shows you, besides showing you, how well you're grounded. It's a test of your. Solidness in Christ, or lack of it. And I think we all know that Genesis story, that one of the things that he responded was that when we touch or eat it, we were going to die. But God never said that. See? And this is the danger in our church today, that we can go to church, but do we understand what God is saying in this world? Tonight, Sunday, to just be icing on the cake of what you've done all week, of what you read all week, of you being granted one on one with Jesus 
Christ through His Word and through your time with Him. You've got to find the time. It's imperative. If these are the last days, things are going to get more and more deceptive. And the Bible says it's going to be a great falling away of people in faith. How can that be? How does that happen? Is that going to be you? Is that going to be me? It's going to be such a great deception. Do we take for granted our knowledge of the Word? Or are we diligent in trying to really always dissect it and get more and more of it and bombard our brain and our heart with the things of God in this world? In that same chapter of 2 Corinthians, it says that no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Revelation 12.9 says that the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil, and Satan who deceives the whole world. Remember, you and I have been pulled out of that deception. But... According to the scriptures, people are going to fall back into that deception. Is that going to be you? Is that going to be me? There's only one way to stay out of being deceived. And that's in your day-to-day walk with Jesus Christ and in your relationship with Him. And you're honoring Him and His work. There are churches, denominations that have been around for a long, long time that are not used in the Bible like they used to use. Polls have been taken where 80% of their congregation or 80% of their denomination don't believe that the Bible is the whole word of God. Parts of it are. How do you determine what part? How do you do that? Boy, that falls into the engineers if I've ever heard it. Right? You hear what you, you listen to, it sounds good to you. Watch the ministers. Are they using God's word? Or do they go off on a tangent? Never to come back to God. And you don't hear the name Jesus. You don't hear about the Holy Spirit or God the Father. It's crazy what's going on. And people are being hurt and becoming more and more confused because they're being lied to by the men and women that are teaching the scriptures of all denominations. Calvary Chapel is not excluded from that. You are accountable to Jesus Christ for what is said up here by any speaker. Just like the Bereans. You're to test through the scriptures if what is being said up here is true. And what is what is set up here is not from the scriptures. We should all leave. We should all get out. But people are bound by tradition, I think, in a lot of the places in this world. They stay by because they've been a certain denomination all their life. That's the way my parents raised me. Heard a great thing last night on Hannity. Last night they were uh, praying Graham. I don't know if anybody caught it. It was phenomenal. Franklin Graham had just had an audience with President Obama and they prayed. 
And uh, Sean Hannity had asked a question about Obama's Christianity. And Franklin Graham says, you know, just because maybe one of your parents was a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you talk about the scriptures doesn't make you a Christian. It's a vibrant, living relationship with Jesus Christ. And you're doing the things that line up with the scriptures that Jesus taught and said in the Gospels. And you see it acted out in the Acts of the Apostles. And you see it in the lives of the Apostles and the followers of Christ and all the Epistles. It doesn't matter if somebody says they're a born-again believer. It's the fruit in their life and what they say about the risen Savior. Who do we listen to? What do we believe? Are we being fed from many directions or just one? See, it's not the person who stands up here or speaks on TV or the book you read. That's not the big thing. It's not the person. It's the Holy Spirit within the person directing you to the Word. And we're allowing the Word of God to ignite your hearts so that you would go out and live for Jesus Christ and glorify Him. It has nothing to do with the person. Don't be fooled. How many people have been faked out and deceived and confused because they got behind a certain teacher, certain philosophy, certain personality, and then the personality sinned. They fell. And it affected that individual who was following their lives. See that be? No. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It has nothing to do with anybody else. We get to fellowship with one another. We get to become friends with one another. We get to lift each other up in prayer, encourage each other, especially if somebody's down. That's awesome. That's part of the uh, glory that God gives us. Or an advantage that God gives us being brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what we are, brothers and sisters in the family of God. Who are we listening to? John 8, 44 said, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning of the, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in it. When he speaks lies, he speaks with his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now remember, so many scriptures that we read like this are directed to the religious leaders, the ones who are supposed to be pointing people to God. But these are the very ones that are causing confusion. Not only in the Old and New Testaments, times, but today. I don't think the apostles erected billboards and said, Jesus is going to be crucified on such and such a day. Come to this spot and see his resurrection. Three days later. Or get to the branches and meet me at the corner in Jerusalem. He's going to be coming in on a donkey. And you can start praising him. 
Now the scriptures do prophesy those things. And we're told in the scriptures to look for things like birth pains of a woman in labor. But boy, what boldness it would be for anyone to stay here in day and hour. But yet that's what we're seeing in our world. And we've seen it before. Harold Camping said in 1994, he made a misjudgment. He made a mathematical misjudgment because he said the end of the world was going to come back in 94. Now, if I'm a math teacher and I'm off by 17 years, that's a huge, huge, I don't think I should be a math teacher. That's a big mistake, 17 years. I mean, a few seconds, but 17 years. Wow. But people are deceived and they fall under the leadership of deceivers. Turn to Matthew chapter 4, please. Matthew 4. Verse 3. And we've seen this before, and I want to take a little uh, different angle as we're looking at this. And this is when Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And again, I want you to think about church people, Christian people. And so far, we've had Adam and Eve who walked in the garden with the Lord. Daily communion. Imagine daily communion with Jesus. Walked in the cool of the garden. But yet Eve was deceived. Pleasure sin for a moment, stayed with his wife, and they sinned. Sin came in. He was deceived, and Adam just sinned because he wanted, because he was with the woman, and he would rather break his relationship with Jesus than with stand and speak of the truth to his wife. He walked in the garden with the Lord. And here, Notice the audacity and arrogance of Satan to go and tempt Jesus. But what I just want to look at briefly in these verses is the temptation and the use that Satan actually used the scriptures to try to tempt Jesus and to get Jesus to sin. And with that being said, what about preachers today? Using God's word and deceiving the people. How about that one, huh? Using God's word and deceiving their congregation. Terrible. Tremendous accountability that person's going to have when they stand before their judge one day. The word tempt, definition is to try, to make trial of, to test for the purpose of ascertaining his quantity.
quantity or quality of what a person thinks or how he will behave himself. Again, a test to see what you made of. I think I've shared this before being a coach. Got the referee makes a bad call in a basketball game, and I go nuts. Now, most likely, the ref was wrong. <laughs> but the way I handled it just shows the gook and the sin in my heart. The ref just brought it out. Well, it's temptation does the same thing. If you can run from a temptation, it's going to show you your strength in the Lord. If you give in to a temptation, it's going to show that you just follow yourself, you just gratify yourself, you just concerned with your happiness, your pleasure, rather than loving the Lord. In that time, whatever that time is, second, an hour, day, a week, a year, ten years, whatever. Notice Matthew 4.4. And in all the answers that Jesus gave, he quoted Scripture. Now, of course, Jesus is the Word. How can you fake out the Word? And how do you fake out the very one whose heart went to people to pen what we read? How do you fake them out? Well, arrogant people, prideful people do that. Prideful angels do that. They become the fools, and the Lord becomes the Lord. He wins. Because a liar can't be the truth, the person who is the truth, Jesus himself. Now, one of the temptations, the devil said to him, and he used scripture, and he said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself in, for it is written. The devil quoted scripture to Jesus. Today, there are people from the pulpit that are causing confusion by quoting scripture. But just like Satan did, he takes it out of context. And people believe because it was from the Bible. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't, doesn't work that way. You can't just say anything from the scripture and that makes it Bible. You've got to know what it's supposed to say. But the point I want to show you is that the devil himself, with Jesus, he scripture. I'm sure the devil knows the Bible better than everybody here. He's had a long, long time to know, to use it against people of God. How much more diligent should that motivate us to be? To know God's whole counsel. So that we are never deceived. He's an expert in taking it out of context and throwing it into your mind so that maybe you would Go a sinful path to justify what you want to do at that time. 
Many are willing to believe anyone who quotes from the Bible. Foolish, silly, not right. People think someone can, has a grasp of the scriptures simply because they speak from the scriptures. And then, heartache, division, come and causes confusion. In Acts 20 27, Jesus understood from his knowledge the whole counsel of God. And that verse says, For I have not done to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Well, Jesus knew God's whole counsel because he was God. Do you know the whole counsel of God? Do I? Do we have a grasp? Or are we really confused about what's going on in our world today? Don't we? Jesus is the answer. To everything that's going on. Men don't have the answers. Women don't have the answers. Presidents don't have the answers. Presidents of Iran and any other country can't usher in, make anything happen faster than God's timetable. They can't cause a certain person to come to this earth any quicker than the timetable that God Himself has programmed. One of the things that Jesus did in this temptation, besides quoting scriptures, he also knew how to rightly divide the word of truth. And we're exhorted in Paul's letter to Timothy and to Timothy to do the same thing, to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. But how do you do that? You have to know the word, right? You have to know, you have to understand. And that's a big encouragement all the time from everybody that's up here. Just Know the word yourself. That we are just echoing what God has already put in your heart as you study the scriptures. Turn with me to Acts chapter 3, please. Verse 1. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, which was about 3 p.m. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And one of the things that I just want to show here basically along the theme of tonight was the confusion, was here was this lame man, since he was born, being lame. He was laid daily at the gate of the temple, and one of the things, he was begging for money from those who went to the temple. So he had a certain agenda. 
He had a perspective of the people who entered the temple. And I'm sure from a very young age, maybe his mom took him there in his arms, or in her arms, and did the same thing. So this is what he knew. This is what he knew of the temple. It's a place to go to ask to beg for money. Because he probably he wasn't going to do much in his life being lame. There wasn't a lot he could do in a place where it depended on working with your hands and your legs and going from one place to another. So this was one of his ways of making money, of feeding himself, of getting a shelter. But one of the things we want to think about is his expectation from the people who were going to church, to the temple. But the people expected you and me, because they know that we believe in God and we believe in Jesus. We're born again. Terminology of born again Christian, but they're not born again. So, what do they expect from you and me? Maybe on an Easter or Christmas, maybe at a funeral, they come to church with you, or you go to their church to just support them and, you know, their sorrow for the funeral, whatever. What do they expect? Well, here, this lame guy was expecting some others. From the people going to the temple. Now he sees Peter and John. They're about to go into the temple, verse 3, and he's asking them for arms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. Now, how many people who were going to church, going to the temple, just passing by? And have been doing that for years. They just keep passing this guy by. Maybe some said, Oh, how are you doing today, John? How's it going? Are you having a good day? Oh, I haven't changed on you. Today, I'll get you next week. Maybe next week, there's a crowd going by this lame guy. And they get to the far left of the crowd because they don't want to get too close to the lame guy because they promised him next week they would give him something and they didn't do it. But the lame guy sees that on that other side. Says, oh, yeah. That's what are they doing there? They're supposed to be praying to God like he's avoiding me. He said last week he was going to give us something, but he didn't give me anything. What picture is this lame man getting of those people going to temple? What are they thinking? And I wonder if anybody ever said, hey, come on, carry out, let's go, let's go up to the temple together. I wonder if anybody ever did that. I wonder if any of the priests ever came and sat down next to him, had a sandwich with him. Did that ever happen? Well, Peter and John, right here, Peter says, Oh, look at us. So here the lame guy gives him his attention, expecting to receive something from him. And maybe he got more than he's been getting all day, just his attention. Peter says, silver and gold, I don't have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now the man had an expectation of getting some jingle in his pocket. 
or in his robe, or in his little purse, whatever they had. He never thought this was going to happen. He never expected this to take place. What's your expectation from God? What is it? Did you ever think about it? What is your expectation of God? Well, if we allow Him to just be who He wants to be, that expectation will be far beyond anything that we could imagine. And I think a lot of us have found that out before. When we allow God to be God and get out of His way and bless us in Jesus' name through the power of His Holy Spirit, we're blown away, right? It's like, oh my goodness. I never thought that this would happen, that God would bless me this way. Verse 7, and he took him by the right hand, Peter took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Now, the lame, it doesn't say here in the scriptures, and I don't think he did it, the lame guy did not go into his purse and start counting his money, seeing how much money he had, and go to the local bagel shop to get something to eat. He didn't do that. He didn't say, oh man, now I can get a job. Look what he did. He leaps up, he stood, and he walked, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. He went in the right direction. He went in to honor and thank God. Praising God, he was leaping and walking. Now, notice in verse 9, all the people saw him walking and praising God. What effect? Did this man have now on the people who knew he was lame? And now, not only is he walking and leaping, he's going into the temple. Maybe he stood or sat next to the man who said, Hey, next week I'll get you. But I don't think the lame man was concerned with that false promise. Maybe he stood next to a guy who said hello to him every day or every Sabbath and that man who went to the temple every Sabbath on very many occasions wanted to pick him up or get a couple guys from the church or from the temple and lead him into the temple with him. Take him into the temple. Come on, let's go. Today you're going with us to the temple. But he never did. He never followed the leading of God's Spirit. But now he's standing right next to that guy who wished now he had carried him. So what is going on here? Who is God touching here? Everyone. That's what God does. Touches the lame guy. Touches the guy who lied. Touches the man who had the right intention and never followed through. Now, we don't see in the scriptures in this particular situation, but I wonder how that changed the life of the two guys on the side of the lame guy from that day on. I wonder. 
What was the effect of their life from that day forward? Now, verse 9, all the people saw him walking and praising God. Did that make them praise God more than they did before this happened? I think so. Human nature, they got pumped. Kind of believe a miracle right in their midst. I'm looking at a lot of miracles in here right now. You're sitting next to a miracle right now. Does that pump you up? Does that get you excited about what God has done, is doing, and will continue to do? Oh, don't be confused, everybody. Everything is right on the schedule. Everything's right on schedule. The master time has the clock. And his name is Jesus. And the clock's not broken. And we're a part of this world, you and I, right now, that is going through a lot of nutty stuff. Crazy stuff. In the churches. In the secular world. In nature. And what is God saying to you tonight? What is he pricking your heart? What's been there that he's trying to stir up in you? Is it going to change you? Are you going to be the same you were a year ago? Anything going to change? Verse 10. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now... As the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. They were shocked. Do they want to see more? Why were they here? Was it just that human nature thing? Or was it the guy juggling or swallowing a fiery sword? It just draws the crowd and you want to see what's next. Or did they realize they were in the presence of God with men of God who were simply doing God's bidding? Well, we get a little insight into what's going on. Verse 11, I'm sorry, verse 12. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people. Men of Israel, I am Peter, and I am lost. According to me, and marvelous things will happen in your life. My buddy John has a basket. Anything you have, throw it into it, and you too will be wealthy, wise, and powerful. And draw a crown. You can wear a new suit, a new robe, like I have on today. No. You didn't say that. But, a lot of people who stand before us in the name of God on TV or on the radio and act like Peter did not act, but like I just said he did. Something's wrong. There's confusion in the church. But what does Peter say? Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us? As though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? 
you ever get anything out of any message, it was God. If you don't get anything out of any message, it was man. Now, you might be in sin and not hear what God wants you to hear. But think about that. Peter didn't take any of the credit. He pointed everybody right to God. Why are you surprised? Why are you surprised? And then he goes on to say, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus. Not ashamed. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus bless America. Not God. God's a general term. Right? Universalism, they're all incorporating God. Who is God? God to one person is not the God of another person. They're all phonies. They're all false gods. We see that throughout the Old Testament. Jesus. There's only one God. Capital G-O-D. There's only one. All the other ones are little itsy bitsy puny things. They're false gods. But here we have his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. And his name through faith and his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes from him him being Jesus has given him this perfect sadness in the presence of you all. And then he goes on. As we close this part of confusion, I think about the world and the state it's in right now. We want to spend a few minutes in prayer. And if there's anything on your heart to lift that up silently or out loud. But I just want to encourage you don't be confused by what's going on today. It's going to get worse and more confusing to those people who are not the sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. It's going to happen. A lot of them are going to be deceived. And as long as the Lord keeps you and me on this earth, they're going to be drawn to people who they think have the answer. Are you ready to share with them the hope that's in you? In a hopeless world that's going to grow darker and darker, maybe next week it'll be worse than we've ever seen in our life. Think about that. If everything was taken away from you tonight, except your relationship with Jesus, would that be enough for you? We hope you all say yes, right? But if it got down to that nitty gritty, where we weren't sure where our next meal was coming from, or if there was going to be, I don't know if we'll need it tonight, but if there's going to be heat in the house, maybe tonight we need air conditioning. Could we get along without it? Would Jesus really be all we need? As we grow in grace and the knowledge of Jesus, may that be a resounding yes. 
that if everything in the world is taken away, as long as we have Jesus, a friend that stays closer than a brother, that's all we need. And let's see how Jesus uses us in the good and the bad circumstances that come our way. I'll open up in prayer. I'll leave a few minutes for any of you who would like to pray. And then uh, I'll close it in prayer. Okay? God bless you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are not a God of confusion. For you are the way. You are the truth and you are the life. 